Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Lauren Dorman from A Color Bright. Patrick. I thought I was going last. You are last. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Kiki in Boston. <laughs> All right. And today we have Lindsay DeLoretta from Double Secret Agency. Hello, Lindsay. Hey, Jonathan. How you doing? Pretty good. Glad you can join us. So as the name of the podcast suggests, it's pretty dev-centric podcast, so we're usually on a pretty high state of nerd alert here. But uh, today's episode is kind of interesting because we're varying a little bit into uh, business development, and we're discussing the topic of maintenance and support agreements. So this is kind of um, a show that I've been looking forward to. A couple of weeks ago, um, we were having a little chat about this on the Craft Slack, and there was a ton of interest in it. So there was a lot of people that, um, that wanted to get into it but didn't really know how, or maybe they felt like they didn't quite know how to go about um, offering this as a service to their clients, or some people even said that they felt like they would just be ripping their clients off, like they didn't see any value um, in, in doing it. So what is a retainer contract, Jonathan? So if you have a traditional job, you're just doing a one-off job for your client. So that's fine. You do the job, you get paid, and you move on. But what if you're able to form a relationship with your client where you have a regular source of income from them? So they're essentially paying you every month to be ready to help them. Um, maybe this is support. Maybe this is like um, various needs that they have, um, upgrades of their site or additional features or whatever. So when you have a retainer agreement, you basically have guaranteed money coming in every month because you've already had an arrangement with your client to say, you know what, I'll be here for you month after month. So why don't we just go down the list and see who here currently does anything with uh, retainer contracts. I'll say for myself, a lot of the work that I've done lately has been training other development agencies. So, you know, there's usually not a retainer contract there. Um, so I guess I've been kind of selective. I do have some retainer contracts that I do, but I'm kind of picky about it. How about uh, you, Jonathan? Do you do them? I do, actually. So I am also picky about it. I think it definitely depends on the client. Um, you know, you, you have this longstanding agreement. You want to make sure that it's a good fit um, for both parties. But yeah, over the last couple of years, I've added more and more. And it's, um, it's not an insignificant amount of my uh, income now is these uh, retainer agreements. And what about Lindsay? No, but uh, I'm dying to try it. I think that's been kind of a hot topic for me lately. It's why I'm here today is um, we have some clients who seem like they're a good fit for retainer, but I've never been able to wrap my head around exactly where, I, where to get from where I am now to the point where we have one or more retainer clients. As soon as you heard recurring revenue, you, your ears yeah. perked up, right? The dollar signs in my <laughs> eyes lit up. <laughs> what about you, Patrick? Don't you do um, some retainer agreements? Yeah, we do a number of them. Uh, it's funny, for the longest time, I... Um, kind of pride myself on not doing them. Uh, the thought was that, you know, like you said, we would come in, we would do the project, uh, we would do a bang up job on it. And the thought was, well, we did such a great job. You can be completely self-service and you'll never need us again. I, I don't know why I thought that was such a great idea because it meant that you're ne also going <laughs> to never pay us again. Right, uh, right. And, and, and it doesn't mean that we're, you know, putting in bugs or making the system a little creaky. So we need to go in there with the WD-40 every so often and 
unsqueak things. But, uh, you know, we found it's a really um, positive thing for both us to have a long-lasting relationship with the client. And then also they know that they're lessening their risk. They, they um, from month to month, they know we're going to be there. They can call on us. We don't need to, like, write up a new statement of work to do some work on the site if they have a need come up. Um, so it's worked really well for both sides. And uh, Lauren, how about yourself? Uh, currently, pretty much uh, taking things as a case-by-case case basis, not really holding any retainers at the moment. Does the idea of a retainer interest you or either recurring revenue part or uh, kind of kind of a longer term commitment with uh, some of your clients? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we have uh, we have projects where um, they're ongoing and, and long term, um, but uh, more more so still in the development and um, building phase. Like there's there's a project that we've been working on for two years, but we wouldn't necessarily call it a retainer. It's uh, mostly just been building, building, building. <laughs> just a really, really long project. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well. I mean, Jonathan, why don't you tell or, you know, talk to us uh, and Lindsay in particular, since he was interested in this, about how to get from here to there. I mean, I, I consider you kind of to be a client whisperer. Like, it's amazing. You, you, you must have a massage table in your studio where clients come in because when they go out, you always seem to have worked work out a, a really nice uh, maintenance contract and retainer with them. So, how do we well, how do we go from just working like a hitman uh, on one particular project to having kind of a longer term relationship? I think that you sort of, I mean, you do take it case by case because I still do a lot of projects where um, where there's not a need for that, especially if, it, if I'm like a subcontractor for somebody else, or even if it's a smaller project. I mean, I would never, I would never attempt to sell somebody on it um, if I didn't feel like that there was real value there um, for the client. So I started getting into it because, um, you know, the the websites that we're building these days they're more complicated than they were um, back in the day. So you know, it used to be, yeah, you could you could deploy your Expression Engine site or your WordPress site or even your craft site. And then you're just smooth sailing for several years and you never have to touch it and the client doesn't have to do anything to it. It seems like that, um, you know, things are, are becoming uh, more and more complicated. And so there is value in having the developer stick around after after launch right. um, to, to sort of um, deal with things that come up. And so um, the, I, I tested the waters on this uh, for the first time. I guess it was about two years ago. I had a site that I was working on and I felt like it, that there was a clear use case for this. And I also felt like that the client would have a budget to um, even entertain the idea. And so um, from there, it's kind of if you decide that you want to do that, then you kind of have to start figuring out, well, um, what are the ground rules uh, for this um, agreement that we're going to have? Because um, they can quickly run awry, too. You can't just allow your client to ask for anything and everything and have unlimited amounts of time. Right. Um, so um, it just kind of became a process of, OK, let's figure out, you know, how we lay out um, all the all of the uh, the specifics for this agreement, make sure the client understands it. How do you even begin going about pricing something like this? Um, that was something else that I went through is like, you know, what is this worth? Um, 
Yeah, a lot uh, of it is biz dev stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way totally. I think of it is, I, I don't know how many other people are here that are old enough to remember, but it actually used to be that you reasonably could do maintenance on your own car at one point, right? That is completely out the window for the most part these days, yeah. right? Um, so I, I, I think of the, the websites that we build as kind of similar to that from the point of view of, you know, I've got a car. And I bring it in for the regular warranty services that are required by the car. And that covers certain things. But there are other things that come up that it does not cover. Uh, and that's a very clear line that the, uh, the mechanics uh, cover with you in terms of what's covered and what isn't covered under the warranty service that you're having done. Um, and you do the kind of the regular maintenance for the same reasons, right? To find any problems, fix anything that, that's going wrong. Uh, do you think that that's kind of a reasonable way to think of it? I mean, the, the way that, um, or the most important thing that I find from that is making that distinction that you mentioned between this is what's covered and this is not what's covered. So how do we figure that out? So what I typically do is it's way easier to define what is covered than what isn't covered, right? Because this could be almost anything what, what isn't covered. So what I usually do is I have a section... Um, in the uh, agreement that just lays out bullet points, you know, uh, software updates, um, you know, so many hours of changes per month or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then I have a line that says, basically, um, if it's not listed in this list, it's not covered. Yeah. It's subject to an hourly fee or whatever. whatever. So um, that, that sort of protects you from just this sort of unlimited uh, scope um, of maintenance. So let's talk specifics. Let me, uh, what let me is ask your... this question real quick um, before we move on? Um, you briefly mentioned the contract, right? And makes sense. Yeah. The contract. Is it safe to say that the contract for a retainer uh, for a support contract would be standalone? It would be separate from any other contract. You know, you have a contract to get a project started, but once the project moves from hey, we're building a website to hey, we're maintaining a website, does it move into is it, a, is it part of the original contract or is it a separate contract to support it? I do two completely different ones. So I have two different versions of a contract. One of them is for a standalone project and another one is for um, the maintenance and support after the fact. Yeah, and I've done it both ways. I, I've done it so that uh, you know, after the project is done, uh, you know, come at them and say, you know, would you like to do this? Or we talk about it beforehand so it's not a complete surprise and they can plan for it when it comes to their you know, budget planning. I've also, we, we, I use Proposify for putting together proposals and we, you, know, you get the ability to have optional budget items. Uh, and, and I've done that as well to say that you know, for, for one year following go live that we'll support it either on a month to month basis or with a bucket of hours and we can talk more about different approaches. Um, but it, that can also be a good way to do it just because you know, almost while the wallet is out, they're like, oh, you know, it's only another X percent right. more and we get, you know, we get a year's worth of assistance uh, afterwards. Yeah, and I've done it both ways as well. And I have also looked at it from the point of view of some projects, I'm not interested in them if I am not getting the support uh, or retainer as part of it. Um, right. So I build it into the actual contract. And if they balk at it, then, you know, that's fine. I'll look for some other work somewhere, you know? Yeah, that's a very good point. I've been in that situation too, where you just know that if the client does not agree to some kind of ongoing support, it's just going to be a never ending 
headache for you. Right. Like you're you're always going to be doing you know tiny bits of changes that they're going to want immediately, but it's not going to be a whole lot of money. Right. And it's definitely that's not worth it. Yeah, and so it depends on the client and it depends on the project. Um, and I, I just want to read real quick so we're all kind of on the same page. So when I think of retainers, I historically think of them from the perspective as lawyers, right? A lot of people have a lawyer on retainer. And the, the Wikipedia definition is a retainer agreement is a work-for-hire contract. It falls between a one-off contract and permanent employment, uh, which may be full-time or part-time. Its distinguishing feature is that the client or customer pays in advance for professional work to be specified later. Uh, the purpose of a retainer fee is to ensure payment for future services for work rendered. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting to think about it from that perspective where we're guaranteeing the client a certain level of, of functionality. And, and Jonathan, I would really love to hear what you put in your, your base agreements. I've done, I've even done, <laughs> this might seem kind of crazy. It depends on your involvement with the client, but I've even done contracts where I own a piece of the company in order to do certain things and maintain it a certain way. Uh, and obviously that totally depends on your relationship with the client and the business and you know, a lot of businesses you might not even want to get involved at all. But uh, Jonathan, what is your kind of baseline? Like if you're going to start approaching someone with a support contract or a support retainer, what are the, the baseline things that you're going to put in there? So I think the, the most important thing to figure out from the start is, and this is going to depend on how complicated the project is, how much time do you anticipate on spending on this client every month? So this can be, this can range from a pretty good guess to a total shot in the dark. Um, but usually you'll have a pretty good idea, you know, okay, if I have to do like their, their, you know, the sort of proactive monthly maintenance, which is like software updates and stuff like this, or given my history with a client, they, they call me about once a week for something or whatever. You can start kind of figuring out about how much time you're going to spend um, every month supporting this client. This is what I use as the baseline to put together like an estimate for um, monthly support because mine vary pretty wildly. So like I have some smaller ones and I have some bigger ones, but they're, they're appropriate to whatever uh, that, that client's needs are. So a base might be software updates, right? Keeping yeah. the, the CMS up to date, keeping the v VPS up to date. Um, right. And then you'd add in uh, a certain number of hours each week or each month or whatever for changes that need to be made based on the history of the client. And, and that's kind of the basis. That's a starting point for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I only do my agreements for a year at a time also, which is probably what most people do. And the reason for that is I like to track if I'm totally wrong. And sometimes I am. So I've had some situations where I grossly underestimated how needy a client was going to be. And um, I have a time tracking system. So even though um, in a retainer agreement, you're, you know, you're not necessarily billing the client per hour, I still log all of my time so that at the end of the month or at the end of the year, I can say, okay, well, I anticipated I was going to be spending four hours a month supporting this client. And then, uh-oh, I was actually spending seven or eight um, I can go back and revisit if these agreements are, um, need to be, uh, updated or adjusted, um, to reflect the reality of it. Now, how do they react when you tell them 
it's going to be more now. Well, I think that they will react better if you can back it up. So right. like if you're just going to your client and you're saying, you know what, I've been charging you $500 a month. There really needs to be a thousand. They're probably not going to react very well. Right. But if you can actually show like, okay, you opened, you know, this many support tickets during this month and here's all the time that I logged against those support tickets, you can clearly see that I'm putting in way more time than, than I'm charging you for. Um, then I think that they're a lot more receptive. Yeah, and, and me, also let me, you, let, let me ask you how this plays out. Sorry, Andrew, to interrupt. If you if you are have somebody on a four hour a month retainer, and a month comes and goes, and they use seven hours, does that mean that they prepaid for four, and then you go back at the end of the month and you bill them for the remaining three? Yeah. So this is interesting, and this is actually the same question that um, clients always want to know too. So what I always tell people is I don't do rollover minutes. So like if you um, have like, you know, four hours, if that's what your agreement is for per month and then you don't use those hours one month, you know, you don't suddenly have eight hours available next month. But I am mindful of that. So like if I know that a client um, didn't use a whole lot of time last month and then we went, you know, over by a couple of hours this month, I do keep that in mind. But I don't sort of like roll over time. Um, I compare this to like health insurance is this is my favorite analogy um when when talking about this is you know i didn't if i didn't use my humana health insurance last month i still have to pay my premium they're not going to say oh you didn't use this last month you don't have to pay us for that and it's the same way with these agreements i mean just because you um you didn't necessarily log any hours for that client they were paying for you to be available to them yeah and And, let's face it when it comes to development uh, switching gears is kind of costly. So they're, they're paying to keep you engaged. That's a great point. That's a great point. And not only that, but, um, again, with some of these bigger projects, just because the project launches, you, you are likely still incurring costs to support that client, whether that's like your deployment process that you have to pay for or your forge or your, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, you're likely paying for services that are either directly or, or indirectly, going to support that client. So the retainer agreements allow you to sort of recoup the cost of that also. And I've always found in conversations with clients, it's works out a whole lot better. If instead of talking about, you know, when you were saying going from 500 to a thousand dollars, if you change the conversation to be about value, um, because there are a lot of, uh, companies that the amount of money isn't necessarily the, uh, what is causing the issue. Um, it's more whether or not they feel that they're getting the value out of it. That's so, right. yeah. So how do we do that? Like Lin- Lindsay has a number of clients and he wants to uh, start approaching some of them to say, Hey, you know, I've, I know I've been working piecemeal for you, you know, an hour here, an hour there, five hours here. What I want to do is consolidate this into a support contract. How does he broach that conversation with them? And how does he paint it in such a way that the client will see the value in doing that. Well, it's the I think the benefit is twofold. There's a value to the client and there's a value to you. So the client and it's probably both comes down to budgeting also. So I mean, you're able to have you know that you're going to have this guaranteed stream of income. The client knows that you're always going to be available for them and they're also able to budget for that too. It's not just like every time they call you it's like a one-off, you know, $150 here, you know, $80 there, whatever the case may be. 
um, it gives a little bit of consistency on both sides. And so that's usually how I approach it um, with clients is that, you know, from a budgeting perspective, this is way easier for you because your your costs are known up front. It's not going to be like, you know, um, a mystery um, what it's going to cost to keep supporting the site. And then for you, you know that um, you're able to have this this uh, this guaranteed stream of income uh, coming in. So yeah. it's the benefits are twofold for that. So I want to see the master at work. Let's do a little role play real quick, Jonathan. Uh-oh. So I <laughs> <laughs> nothing freaky. Don't worry. So I'm the I'm one of your clients, and I you've been working with me for the past two years, and you probably uh, you know you do a couple hours a week. I just randomly send you emails and say, can you do this? Can you do that? Um, and you also are doing updates to the uh, the CMS and that kind of thing. And now you want to create a support contract with me. And I'm I run a website where I sell my tanned buffalo hides, like we we're talking about last episode. <laughs> you just called me up. Go. So I would say, look, Andrew, um, your tanned buffalo hide business is really taking off. You are um, a clear leader in the field of tan buffalo hides. I am. And uh, we want to uh, ensure that um, your website is uh, never uh, um, blocking your success. We want to make sure that we're always available to you anytime you need us. Make but, sure you're a business. But you already, you already do this now when I, I send you an email and you, you update stuff. Well, well, that's a good point. So that's true, but you may have noticed that uh, sometimes I don't quite respond to you as quickly as you might like. You know, maybe I'm a little bit delayed. Um, let, let's let's take this relationship to the next level. Um, Can't, I can be available to you. You know, guaranteed twenty four hour response time. Answer your uh, request in a timely manner. Um, now you're making me yeah. feel important. Yeah, and that's what it's all about is um, usually when you have a client that is uh, not on a support agreement, it's exactly as you described. They're just kind of emailing you whenever they want. Um, There's no structure to it. Um, Whenever I have a client sign an agreement, I immediately set them up with Zendesk. So this is my favorite tool for ticketing. I'm sure a lot of people use this for ticketing. Um, It just makes the client feel like they have a direct line to you. I'm I'm going to give Patrick a shot here too. Patrick, you've done a number of these uh, support contracts. You've been maintaining my Bison Hyde website <laughs> for a while. You're, you want to get me on a support tr- contract? You just started the call. Go. It's a real nice website you got there. Be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> that was the feel I got at first. When we started talking about. Oh my no, god. No. Um, <laughs> All right, start no, I, again. I, you know, I always try to. I always try to. No, no, role play, to, role play. Come oh on. boy, oh, do it. Right. You can do it, Andrew. The, the uh, yeah, I've seen your analytics. Uh, you know, really impressed with how you're doing on the Buffalo Hides. Um, one thing that I want to make sure is that down the road, if you need any help from us, whether it's content entry, whether it's a new design idea, or if you just want to bounce ideas off of us, that you know, we don't have to go through a whole paperwork process. Uh, that we don't have to figure out a statement of work and get budgeting. Can uh, I just? I found, can I just call you? You could, but like I said, we would have to get paperwork. We, ha- you know, we, right now our our bug fix period ended, you know, thirty days after we went live. And while I think you know we're we're in the clear on bugs, um, there may be other things you want to do. Uh, I want to make sure that if you are looking for that, that we can jump right on it. And we don't have to go through budgeting and paperwork. Uh, 
And you know, what we found other clients find having us under retainer, whether it's a, a bucket of hours over the course of a year or a monthly minimum can be a good way that you can engage us whenever you need us. Uh, we can be like a part of your team that you can spin up and spin down when you need to. Um, and you know, figure that out early rather than at a time of at a time of need or a time of crisis. Hopefully not. But didn't y'all already finish the website? I don't understand. Why do I have to? <laughs> what, what's what has to keep being done to this thing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know you're looking to expand into Europe. Uh, GDPR mm-hmm. is a big thing that we've been hearing about from clients. That everyone's coming with their heads on fire. G- saying, GDPR. Hey. Yeah, it, it stands for the. Uh, I can figure out a few different acronyms for it. Uh, the General Data <laughs> Protection Regulation or whatever it is. But if you're selling in Europe, if those buffalo hides are going into the EU, um, you do need to make sure that you're right with that law. Um, and while we're not lawyers, and please consult devmo.fm slash GDPR or what have you. Oh, my uh, gosh. I didn't, know, I didn't know any of this. Where, where do I sign? This sounds good. Yeah, yeah. We want to just be able to support you when you need it. I like it. No, I th- I, th- I mean, it may seem silly, but I think it's actually really instructive to hear the kind of things that both of you say and the conversations that you have and how you approach it when you're actually, you know, hey, we're role playing, but you know, talking about uh, talking to a client about trying to sell them on this. Um, Lindsay, do you have any any questions on that in terms of how to approach some of your current clients about getting them on board? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I find this really fascinating and it, it's, there's some commonalities between the way Jonathan and Patrick are approaching this and there's some differences too. Um, you know, I like, uh, Patrick saying like, Hey, you know, we can alleviate some paperwork by just putting you on a uh, regular thing. And Jonathan saying, Hey, we can make ourselves more available despite the fact that we're already pretty available. And I think that that's a trap that we're in hmm. right now is that we're already very attentive to our clients. That's one reason why I think we have good relationships with most of our clients. So, you know, to be able to say, hey, we can be more attentive is a hard sales pitch when they say, well, you know, how could you possibly be more attentive? You know, maybe but, maybe you dug your own grave in that regard. You know? Maybe I did. But then, you know, Jonathan actually kind of um, shown a little light on the Zendesk scenario where he's like, well, look, how about we set you up with this tool hmm. where you literally just start pumping it full of ideas and we'll just tackle those ideas in the time we have allotted. So, you know, as the months go by, you've always got something for us to be working on. Now, one thing that actually came up uh, recently, I, I think in the past like two weeks for us, was um, one of our longstanding clients. We've had them for three or four years now. We're very attentive with them. Um, great relationship. They have about four or five um, websites that we work on. They asked us to do something for their site. I don't remember what it was. But it was a relatively small thing, and they said, we just need this one thing done for all of our sites. So we went Mm. through systematically each site, and we went in, and we did the one thing. And as we were going through there, the one thing that we noticed was that all these sites, the CMS was pretty far out of date. Mm. Um, And, you know, ditto for the plugins. And so it kind of, in my mind, you know, circled back to this conversation of like, hey, maybe this is a good opening for – this is a good opening for us to – uh, pitch them on a retainer contract because if we get them on a retainer contract, we can say, hey, you know, you're don't worry about your CMS going out of date. And, you know, I, I think you'd see an, a similar situation on those rare instances where there's a critical security update and all of your clients are calling you saying, right. there's this big red thing in my control panel. What do I do about it? It's a right. similar scenario. Uh, so I see that as, as our current opening with this particular client. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see the different approaches to this. And that, that's the value. That's one of the values that you can sell them on is that, you know, 
we will keep this uh, software up to date so that you're not going to have security breaches or you're very less likely to have them. Um, Lauren, you've been kind of sitting back and listening to this. I'm interested to hear if you have any uh, any questions for Jonathan about maybe how to how to broach some of the conversations with your current clients to uh, potentially get them on board with a service contract. Sure. Um, I guess one of the, the questions that I do have is uh, uh, when you are having these conversations with um, with the clients and they do give you that that kind of that hard time, how do you kind of deal with uh, making sure you keep the relationship healthy and uh, that uh, you're still able to kind of engage them and, and try to sway them kind of towards that? How do you kind of uh, deal with that type of stuff? It's a good question. So I, um, by no means am I a hundred percent successful. And so there have been situations where, um, it's been a really good client and I definitely wanted to continue that relationship. And so I think if you, if you have a client that's just dead set against it, like they absolutely don't want to do it and you still want to have that relationship with the client, then you kind of just have to, you have to kind of just accept that that's, that's going to be the nature of your relationship with this client. So they're going to call you when they need things. Um, you know, you can try to respond to them in a timely manner, bill it hourly, you know, just carry on as you would. Um, if you, you know, if you hadn't established an agreement with them and just hopefully maybe one day you can still convert that client. And that actually did happen. So I had a client who initially didn't want to do it. And so we didn't go that route. And they ended up um, needing so many things after the fact, and they were tired of getting random invoices all the time, Mm. uh, a couple of times a month, that they actually did come around. And so I would say, you know, if you're in that situation, just continue doing what you're doing, you know, serve your client well, and there's always a chance that, um, that they will come around in the future. Yeah, and maybe something that you can mention is that you're issuing these service contracts, and to make sure that uh, they still are the priority that they would need to get on board. Like don't, don't threaten them obviously. Uh, But then Lindsay, (laughs) you know, once you've kind of broached the subject in a, in a light way, um, then when these requests do come in, you know, don't reply to their email immediately. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just kind of be like, Oh, well that's one of the people that is not on board with the service contract. They, I've got this queue of work to do. And it's not that I am forgetting about them, but you, you're going to the back of the queue and just let them see um, that there is a change. Now, unfortunately, to your clients, because you're very attentive, I mean, that's going to seem like uh, a downgrade in service. But if you had the conversation with them where you let them know that you're moving to uh, support-based retainers, I-, I think they'll get the idea that you know, you're servicing the people that are on those retainers first, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think especially if it's a client who you're generally doing something for once a month or more anyways, then they do see that you're always involved. So, you know, going back to uh, Jonathan's insurance comparison, it's like, you know, there needs to be some consistency from both sides. If they're going to call you out of the blue and expect you to be on your toes, well, you know, what's in it for me, you know, to some degree, right? Yeah. And when I think of these, we all like, I have a little bit of OCD or I say that and then 
people tell me I'm being terrible because I'm making fun of a real disease, but I, I kind of do have this, you know, whatever, but I do have this thing where I, I do really want to keep things up to date. And like you were saying, Lindsay, we you log in, you see the CMS isn't updated. Like I have a very hard time closing that window without updating everything, you know, Ditto. like, like yeah. I just, yeah. I just feel the need to do it. And then, then I say to myself, well, you know, this is really a person that if I'm going to be doing anything regularly for them, um, they should be on some kind of a support contract. And something that I've found just in general um, is that it's okay to say no to clients or to turn them down uh, if the terms don't seem right. I don't know about you folks, but I have had much better success having fewer really good clients rather than having tons of clients that are just an hour here or an hour yeah. there mm -hmm. because it's, it's so expensive for me mentally to be switching gears between all these things that there really is a cost to that. And I find that I, I'm happier and I do a better job if I just have fewer clients, but a deeper uh, relationship with them, you know, I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah. So I, tr I try to either, if it's someone that I think is, it's valuable to both me and the client to have a long-term relationship, then I definitely go for the support contract and everything else. I kind of just, you know, I I'm one and done, you know, if I, if I think that it's just not going to be worth the, uh, the, the support hassle of, of doing it, you know, let me ask this. And this is a bit of a topic jump. Does anybody here do, um, retainers in a quarterly sense or is everybody handling retainers strictly as a monthly, uh, system? I do it monthly, um, but I just do that for for like cash flow reasons. I mean, right. it's better to have like the monthly, you know, those checks coming in every month or whatever the case may be. We even have um, like our invoicing system. We can get a client's uh, credit card and just automatically bill it every month, which is definitely what we prefer. Right. And what is that system? Because we would probably need something like that. So what we do is, um, this is sort of getting into the tooling of handling uh, maintenance contracts. So what we do is, I've already mentioned Zendesk. Um, so Zendesk, like basically the customer can send an email um, to an address that we give them, and then that will automatically open a ticket. And then based on um, the uh, the host name of their address, it automatically you know tags it as being this, this client, so you can keep track of all your tickets. So it goes in his desk. We have integration with our invoicing system, which is FreshBooks. So we can log time against projects um, and assign it to um, a ticket. And we can also um, do the regular uh, monthly recurring billing also. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle too, because, you know, if you're in a situation where you're manually sending a retainer invoice every month and then manually sending a second invoice at the end of the month for overages. Right. I feel like the client's just going to be hit with, you know, uh, invoice fatigue. And obviously that's not something you want to do to a client. Yeah. And not uh, just that, not just that this really is when you have a maintenance agreement like this, you're essentially in the subscription business, right? Yeah. And, and imagine if, you, not, not that many people get magazines anymore, but when, back when you actually used to subscribe to magazines, imagine if you got a bill every month from the magazine. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Not only would it be annoying, um, but it gives you a chance to cancel. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really want to do this thing anymore. So yeah, setting it up to be automatic is the way to do it. I use uh, Harvest with Stripe, 
And as soon yeah. as their credit card is on file, like boom, it just does it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I use Stripe too. So yeah. big love for Stripe. Yeah, we have um we do have Harvest and Stripe. That's our current configuration. I haven't yet seen a way to um automatically generate do you, Andrew, you have yours set to automatically generate retainer invoices once a month. Yeah, and it you sends can, them out and it automatically bills that. Yeah, you can set the uh automated billing for that. Interesting. All right, I'll I'll follow up with you after the after this. <laughs> Uh, you're then, gonna have to put me on a retainer if you want my. <laughs> What's the big? <laughs> and I've never used Harvest, but I'm sure it probably works the same way. So, like in FreshBooks, you can create um, tasks that you can log time against. Right. So w- what we do is we create tasks that essentially have no billable hours, so it's non-billable time. So we will assign. Um, hours to that task so it doesn't accrue on an invoice but it does allow us to see those hours and then that's how we keep track of how much time we're actually spending uh, to support a client and we have had clients that have asked us like there was a client who was sort of questioning um, a fee increase that we were uh, we were proposing uh, for the new year's uh, contract and so they asked us if they could see you know how much time we were actually putting in for them so we gladly did um, because it showed that it was actually a really good deal for them, even with the fee increase. Like we were putting in tons of time. And so to have like tangible data for the client to actually look at and say, oh, yeah, like they're they're not ripping me off. Like this is actually a really good deal for my business. It's really nice to have all that data available. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that actually leads into another question I had, which is, would you ever let a month go by where you literally did nothing? Or is it sort of that now that you have this contract, you find something to do every month for a client? Uh, it's kind of the opposite. So I found that the client never lets a month go by. <laughs> so like they, if they're paying you like regular fee, they're like, they're going to find something to ask for, which is fine, you know, which is totally sure. fine. They're going to ask yeah, you to make the depends, logo bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Make the logo bigger. Go That's ahead. right. Go ahead, yeah. Patrick. Yeah, I found larger clients. That, you know, they may just want to know that you're there, and they may not use it every single month. Right. Uh, yeah. The other thing I've seen from other agencies that works well is having a like a monthly priority call uh, at, the, at the start of the month. You know, check in and say, Hey, what are you guys thinking this month? What would you like to be working on? Uh, just to you know show them that you're engaged, that you want to make sure that you're making the most of the maintenance contract. Uh, that that's something that I've seen work work really well. Um, and one thing to go back to the conversation on how do you kind of push for it? You know, do you maybe start to let non-maintenance contract emails sit there a little while? I found that just working your rates and having different rates that you charge based on ad hoc requests that are coming in out of the blue with no notice, um, you know, those you're going to be charging a higher billable rate for those sort of requests because they're giving you no guarantee of when they're going to come through, how quickly they're going to need you to turn around on them. They should be you know, paying a higher rate for that sort of service. Uh, if someone is then saying, hey, I want to you know, get you over the course of a year and we want to buy 60 hours from you over the next year and who knows when we'll use them, but we want to make sure you're there, maybe they pay a little bit less. And then if someone's on a month-to-month where they say, we, you know, five hours a month, we want to be able to use you, and then if we go over our minimum um, maybe they pay a slightly higher rate, but you know, they may get a really low rate if they're guaranteeing you X hours a month. You know, I, I've actually heard both sides of this, right? Because I, to what you're saying is essentially you give a discounted rate 
for retainer contracts. And, and I, I see the logic there and I actually feel the logic there. And, and to me on a base level, like, oh, of course, you know, they're, they're buying ahead of time, they're buying in bulk, they're buying without the guarantee of it all being used. Right. Of course it should be discounted. But then at the same time, I've heard people like um, Jason Siffering with Surprise Highway gave a presentation mm-hmm. a few years ago. And I remember him explicitly saying, yep. Don't discount your retainer rates. Just just don't, because people are willing to pay your regular rates for the retainer. So, I mean, what are the pros cons there? Yeah, and I, and I remember his talk, and I think he was saying, you know, there's almost a perverse uh, sense there of, oh, I should work on the higher rate person more than the the low rate person. Um, it was a great talk he gave at Piers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I would say then maybe not so much that you're giving a discounted rate. I should rephrase more that there's a premium rate when someone's coming to you out of the blue with no warning and wants you to make a quick update on their site, you know, hey, can you get this done by tomorrow? Um, they're paying a premium over your normal project rate. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, the one thing that I would want to interject here, Lindsay, is that yeah. when people are uh, paying you for a retainer, um, they're not just prepaying hours. You know what I mean? Uh, mm. In other words they should be also paying you just to have your attention and to have you there, like Jonathan mentioned before. So let's say that you you budgeted for uh, 10 hours a month for a particular client, right? And you review it at the end of the year and they have exactly 120 hours. Then I don't think that your support contract is structured correctly because there should be some money coming off the top just to have you engaged and involved on that project. You right. Yeah, somebody actually phrased this and I, it may have been during our original conversation in Slack where somebody said, you know, it's, it's a retainer contract. They're paying to retain you. Right. And that's part of what they're paying for. It's not just the billable hours. Absolutely. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. Don't think of it kind of like a, you know, a, a prepaid debit card where they just yeah. use them up every month. And when they get to zero, they get to zero. You, see, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it, I've had it happen where some months I work way over uh, the hours and some months that I work way under or not at all, you know? And when, and when you work under the, they've already paid for it, right? It doesn't change anything. And when you work over, you build them the difference at the end of the month. Right. And but like I, Jonathan said, you then reevaluate things. Uh, yeah. I don't always build them a difference. I mean, I, I know I said this earlier, but it just kind of depends on if the client has been in a pattern lately of right. not really asking for a whole lot or if you've really been, you know, sort of maxing it out every month, then it looks like that you're going to be way over. Then what I typically do is just go to the client before I do the work, just like as a courtesy and say, hey, I just want to let you know before I do this that um, this is going to be like five or six hours um, above and beyond what we typically do for you is going to be extra. And sometimes I've had the, the client even say, okay, well, it's not that important. Let's, let's put it on the docket for the first of next month. Or whatever. So mm-hmm. if it looks like I'm going to go over, I'll just go ahead and point that out to them as a courtesy, just so that they know I don't ever just do the work and then bill it as like a surprise. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think this brings up the key thing that Jonathan mentioned before, which is that you re- reevaluate these things. You know, if you're if you're just breaking even on the support contract uh, in terms of the the hours that you're spending on it, it might be time to revisit it. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. Now, yeah. we've talked about the benefits. So the real benefits of doing this are that you have recurring revenue that you can depend on, but also the client has a recurring budget that they can depend on, um, and you benefit from having a certain amount of work. You don't have to be scrounging around for work to make sure that you've got uh, stuff to do. 
And from their perspective, um, they are guaranteed a certain amount of hours from you. You're not going to tell them, I'm busy, I can't do this, right? But what are some of the downsides? And, and Jonathan, what would be some of the, the warning flags where you would say, eh, you know what, I don't really want a retainer with this particular client? Um, so I think maybe some of the warning signs would be something like um, – the client arguing with you, um, maybe consistently over um, what is and isn't covered. Right. Um, maybe arguing with you about um, maybe pushing the issue of, hey, you know, I didn't use a whole lot of your time uh, last month, so this month you owe me ten hours instead of our agreed five. Right. Um, maybe kind of general disagreements about things that you felt like you've already agreed to uh, would be a red flag for me. What about you, Patrick? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, if, uh, first of all, I think anytime you can get something in rain, that's a good thing to talk about that every bug that is reported will is not equal. Um, you know, something like site down or uh, critical error on a form, that's going to have a, a service level agreement that means we're going to act on it much more quickly. But if it's something where it really doesn't affect people or it's a a long-term feature kind of request that may be something that we we don't jump on in the first day. It's something that we'll um, get to you know shortly thereafter. If you find that people aren't respecting those boundaries and and you know kind of thinking that they, you know that everything should be dealt with within the next day, whether or not it's a high or low issue, that could definitely be a problem. Um, if uh, if people aren't respecting your boundaries when it comes to you know let's say we have an email address that we use for support requests and that pushes into, uh, we don't use Zendesk, we use Freshdesk, but very similar. Um, if you find that people are calling and issuing bugs over the phone, and it's not like, hey, the site's down and I want to make sure you know right now, but just because they don't feel like sending an email um, or if they just start texting you, like literally just sending texts to oh, the number that they God. know you have. <laughs> and, um, you know, that is something where, you know, you have to lay down the law early and just say, hey, you know, for both our sides, I want to make sure that we don't lose track of this and that we can, you know, keep, you know track time on it and you can track where it is. Um, we can't accept things otherwise, you know, if they're not coming through the, the supported channels for submitting bugs. Or there could be a premium for every text. <laughs> <laughs> text messaging rates may apply. <laughs> $250 a minute. But let's let's take a step back here. So expectations are um, usually what cause uh, disagreements. One person expects one thing, the other person expects the other. Contracts are awesome because they provide a neutral document that you can point to. That said, no, this is what we both agreed to, right? And that's why contracts in general are are kind of beautiful. And I got some of the best legal advice that I can remember uh, when I was in my teens, which was that contracts are for what you do not think will happen. You know, it's when you, you break out the contract when one person uh, thinks one thing, like maybe a client is wanting a ton more hours than uh, you both agreed to. Well, that's not something you expected would happen. Um, and now you have an actual agreement that you can point to and say, no, I mean, this is, this is what we're doing, you know? Um, so for most clients, the the contracts for me are not an issue, right? But on the occasion when <clears throat> there are differences in expectations, super useful to have a contract to point to and say, this is what we agreed to, right? And that's why we have them in the first place, right? right. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, you're only really referring to a contract when things aren't going smoothly. Right, 
contracts are for when things don't go the way you're expecting they're, them they're going to go, right? If, if everything is smooth sailing, you may know you may sign a contract and never look at it again. It's <laughs> you know? yep, true. And that's, that's, Those are the best projects. That's the way that it should go. Um, and I, I am getting back to the idea of, you know, having fewer, better quality clients. Um, one of the things that drives me absolutely insane is if I'm hired by a client, um, because, you know, all, all, most of the clients that we hire are extremely competent at whatever it is they, their business is or whatever it is they do. Uh, and they hire us because we're presumably competent at doing the tech side of things. Um, but whenever a client will disagree with best practices or the, the tech choices or whatever, that for me is kind of a, a red flag because they're basically saying that they're not going to allow me to give them expert advice and to do my job. <laughs> and, and that sure. would be, that would be a relationship that I would not want to have a service contract with, you know, we had, um, we had, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but we had a, a potential client about two years ago and we were in, she was nitpicking the contract before we had even signed it. She wanted me to change every clause in the in our standard contract. And, you know, I'm willing to bend to a point, to a reasonable point. And we were going back and forth. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll tweak this clause. I'll tweak this clause. But there were clauses in there that she wanted me to change that was like the client would have say over which version of the CMS we were using. Yeah, no. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you're, you're getting too into the weeds here. And right. at the end of the day, after, you know, two, three weeks of going back and forth on this client, are on this contract, we basically had to turn around and say to the to the client, we are not going to take this project on. And we ended up, it's a rare instance of us turning away a client um, just because we could see all the red flags before it happened. Right. I view the contract negotiation part of working with a client, especially when it's a new one that you haven't worked with before, as setting the tone for the rest of the relationship. And th- this client, <laughs> like you, you know, Based, mm-hmm. based on the way the discussion has gone, the way everything else is going to go. Like you just know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, if, if it's like this about the contract, what's it going to be like when we're discussing bugs in the website? Oh, yeah. it's going to be your worst nightmare. Um, but, yeah, I, exactly. but I found that just, you know, negotiating that kind of stuff up front really tells me a lot about the client and how much they value me, um, as does whether they want me on a retainer or not. If I get a lot of uh, resistance to the idea of being on a retainer. I mean, to me, it doesn't seem like they're, they're valuing me or my time that much. And, you know, I can be okay with that for some projects, but for others, I would just walk away, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let me actually uh, ask a question on the subject of time. Um, how much, and actually I meant to ask this at the top of the show, but I've, you know, now's as good a time as any, when you're doing a retainer, uh, contract, how many hours in general would you allot? And I know it varies from client to client, but let's say just ballpark a range, you know, would you say, Hey, you know, I have clients anywhere from two hours to 10 hours. And I'd like to hear from everybody on this one, you know, where do you guys stand in terms of what your reasonable ranges are uh, and how many hours you allot for them? Yeah. Okay. So I'll go first. So I don't ever do less than four hours. That's like my bare minimum. Cause it, four hours point, what? Four hours um, per month, per week, per what? month, per month. Okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, four hours per month is sort of my bare minimum. I kind of feel like at that point, it's sort of questionable if it's worth the hassle of trying to, you know, engage them and get them in this in this agreement. Four hours is sort of like the point at which 
I would be interested in doing that. Um, so they range from four hours. My largest one is like 16 hours. Four. So you got about four to 16 hours. And, and how many, either number-wise or percentage-wise, about how many of your clients would you say are somewhere in that range? The majority of them are in that four, four to six hour range. That's the vast majority of them. The the one who's up at the 16 hour a month mark is like a huge anomaly. Gotcha. Interesting. Very interesting. Patrick, how about you? Yeah, I'd say, you know, typically we have a five hour minimum. So four or five, um, pretty close to what Jonathan has. So you're staying, you're saying your standards are higher than Jonathan's. <laughs> about, about <laughs> I'm, not surprised to, I'm not surprised to hear that. 25 percent higher uh <laughs> yeah I, you know we've um i go back and forth on what's better in terms of like a bucket of hours over a course of a year or a month to month uh minimum um and yeah it depends you know there's i feel like there's more pressure on the month to month minimum to make sure that they're getting the most of their hours uh we've had it where you know we're not able to fill all of the clients requests so um, we're not going to charge them that minimum if we didn't hit, you know, all of their tasks that they were looking for because some of them came in at the end of the month. Um, so, yeah, we've gone back and forth on it. But, you know, that's been our approach typically is at least five hours a month or it's like Jonathan said, it's just not enough to to make it work out on both sides. I need to up my standards now. Yeah. And and again, <laughs> and again, for me, the the hardest thing for me is the context switch. Right. So it would be really difficult for me if I had like 50 clients that I was each spending, uh, you know, several hours a week doing something for, because the, the time it takes me to switch from project to project, like it's just, it's just brutal. You know, I just, I have a really hard time with that. So I look for, uh, clients that I can either, it's a one and done where I build the thing and, and here you go. And I hand it off to them. Or it's a little bit uh, deeper of a, a relationship, and I, I get more involved, even sometimes in the the biz dev side of things, uh, depending on the the project and the company. You know, well, especially that one you own a piece of. Obviously, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that's an anomaly. And and one thing I, I want to make clear, in case anyone is listening, if someone approaches you and say and says, "I want you to do this work for me for free, and I'll give you a piece of the business," like just run. Like this yeah. is this is not that kind of situation uh, at all. Yeah, uh, do not work for equity is a great rule of thumb. Well, yeah. I, I think there are cases where it's okay to work with uh, for equity as long as there is. If you're also is, getting paid, if you're also getting paid, exactly. As long as there is payment along with it, and part of that is just sort of um, a filter because people who are going to approach you for a pure equity deal, that means that they don't. Either they don't have a solid business model or they don't have solid funding. You know, mm. it's one or the other. <laughs> so, yeah. why are you going to work for free for that? Like, you definitely should get paid if you want to get paid at a reduced rate because you really feel that there's a, a good reason uh, to own a piece of this particular business, then go for it. Um, but I, it is kind of perilous, and I, I wouldn't advise that route for the vast majority of projects. So we've kind of been discussing um, mostly the benefits of doing this, but I mean, there's definitely some pitfalls too. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of you're going from a one night stand to uh, living together all of a sudden. So, uh, <laughs> we're, we're not just that; we're polyamorous. We're living with all of these people, right? That's right. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> oh lordy. So, um, you kind of have to know what you're getting into, and right. you kind of have to plan ahead. I mean, so um, what if something unexpected happens to you? 
You know, do you have mm-hmm. a plan for dealing with um, with all these clients who you now are contractually obligated to support? You know, what if something happens and you're you're sort of uh, have to step away for a little while? How are you going to handle that? So I think those are all things to consider uh, before getting involved, too, is, um, you know, if I'm going to be in this for the long term, how's that going to look if something unexpected happens to me? Right. And I think that's super important, too, because when you do engaging these contracts, you're guaranteeing them a certain amount of work. And you have right. to have some kind of a plan if for some reason you're unable to work. Right. Because yeah. you, you have a binding contract where you're going to handle this stuff. And uh, they may have some very important things that need to get taken care of. Right. Yeah. And it's just a different kind of relationship. Like even aside from that, I mean, it clients do feel like that you're more accessible. So it, it may go from the occasional email to, you know, hearing from them a little bit more frequently, or maybe their expectation, you know, is going to change in terms of how available they expect you to be for them, you know? And, and so you're going to have to deal with that also. Yeah. And because you are going to be working with them so much, if you have this guaranteed time you're going to be spending, um, I mean, that's why I think you should be more choosy about the, the clients that you decide to have a support contract with. Definitely. Um, like <laughs> Lindsay, the client that you were talking about, like, mm-hmm. my God, like, first of all, I would not <laughs> engage this, this person at all in, in building this stuff for them. Um, but also, I mean, no way in the world would I want to stick around for a support contract for that. You know what I yeah. mean? Oh God, no. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that would be. That would be horrendous. That really yeah, would. because it's like you're saying, right? Like you are, you're giving them a guarantee. They're giving you the guarantee of we're going to give you X dollars a month, but you're giving them a guarantee of I'll be around when you need me and right. I'll be around for X hours a month. And right. so, you know, if you have a client from hell and you enter this, you know, arrangement with them, you're signing a deal with the devil. You're basically saying, I'm going to give you four or five hours a month for you to bark in my ear. And it's, is, is that what you want from this client? Like, you know, no, sometimes you do have to be picky about it. I've already got three dogs. I don't need any more barking in my ear for God's sake. But uh, touching on something that Patrick mentioned earlier about, uh, how they contact you. I mean, I, I've got one client that, uh, his favorite way of communicating is via text. Right. (laughs) And I, I, I had to work really hard to, you know, kind of back that off. And then the favorite form of communicating was via Slack. Um, and then it was via email. And this is all while there was a, uh, a Trello board set up for all this stuff. So the way it would basically work is he would file something in Trello and then he would mention in Slack and I get, I'm completely crazy. So I get notifications for anything on Slack. He would send me a notification on Slack saying that he put something in Trello and then he would email me to let me know that there was something in in Trello and that he slacked me about it. And then he would text me <laughs> to, to, to tell me all of these other things. And it, it took a long time, but I had to kind of just, you know, train him to get him away from that. Where, Oof. yeah, where if it, if it comes in via text, it's as if it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, I just completely ignore that because I think that that is unfair to me. Um, yeah, and I got I got to give a shout out to Brad Bell here because what you're talking about, he tackled in his support uh, presentation many years back, and it's called the shotgun approach. Mm. Um, somebody yep. needs support, 
and they hit you up on every channel that they know of. They're yep. like, I, I know I can reach him here. I know I can reach him here. And so they'll do it. They'll do it all. And and his response to that, his solution to that was, for every angle that they're hitting you from, refer them back to the one that's the right one. Just, and that's, just like, I, hey, I, I answered that on Trello. Go look at Trello. Trello is the place where we can talk about this. And that's exactly what I do is like um, – it's fine if we need to have conversations about something, but if it's not put in Trello, then it doesn't exist. You know, you can tell me about something on Slack, but if it's not in Trello, and and the reason I need that is for what I mentioned before about the expense of switching gears and switching contexts. When I go to sit down, when it's time to work on this project, I need to be able to open up whatever I'm using, in this case Trello, and everything is there. You know, I, I can't be hunting down through all these emails. I can't be scrolling back through texts or, you know, yeah. trying to piece things together in Slack. Like it's just, it's a complete nightmare from just for my mental state, but then also just from an efficiency point of view, you know, everything. And that's, the, that's the exact reason that a tool like either um, Freshdesk or Zendesk, I right. mean, you keep every piece of communication in a logical chain yep. that's archived forever. Yep. It's just sort of keeps everything right in one place. Yeah, and then you can refer back to it, you yeah. know, which is is super important as well. We can say, oh, no, we actually had this conversation or we talked about X, Y, or Z in terms of uh, what we're doing, you know? Yeah. But that that was, I mean... As I'm, I heard you guys groaning when I was uh, talking about it, <laughs> I, mean, yeah, well, just... I I got one of those text message uh, folks today. Yeah. In fact, yeah. But this guy only comes out of the woodwork about once a year, so it doesn't bother me as much. But he sent me a full screen text message, and I said, "Hey, can you just put this in an email?" And I right. promptly ignored the rest of it. Right. And that's yeah. And what Brad uh, presumably I, I did, <laughs> I, I did hear that speech, but I totally forgot it. But what Brad presumably was talking about was something that um, we've done for years, which is, for instance, um, if you have an FAQ for your product, let's say that you're selling a particular product and someone asks you a question, you first of all, you can copy and paste from the FAQ to send them the answer to it. But then you also give them a link to that FAQ, right? Mm -hmm. So you refer them back to the canonical source. The idea being that they can then help themselves when they're looking at it. And if only... A small percentage of them do it or a small percentage of the time, that's fine. You still saved yourself some hassle. And it's really the same thing here where Brad was mentioning to point them back to the canonical answer instead of trying to engage them on every platform under the sun, you know? The ultimate irony, as we're talking, the guy I just mentioned who sent me the full screen text just texted me to tell me that he sent me an email with all that information. No, I think the ultimate irony, the, the ultimate irony is I put you on blast with a shotgun approach earlier today. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> About the podcast. I didn't, you, I didn't. You me up with intercom to get me on this podcast. Oh, I. Slack. Yeah. No, I, I even looked for your phone number. I thought I might've had it. Uh, just to yeah. contact you. Well, and the only reason I did it is because there was some kind of urgency to it from a time point of view. But yeah, I actually, I, I contacted <laughs> Lindsay on Slack and I didn't hear anything back. So I went to his website and I filed a support ticket. I'm like, this will <laughs> I'm like, this'll get to him. I can get him online for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you got me. You got me. Well, this is this has been amazing. I gotta say, um, and I'm shocked to say that you've actually answered all my questions. Uh, you guys, you really know your stuff. And and on top of it, it's been a nice um, wide diversity of, you know, you're all doing 
uh, retainers, but you're all doing them in slightly different ways. And I find that fascinating. And it's, it's interesting to learn from what you're doing the same and also what you're doing differently. Yeah. I mean, just think of it from a more abstract point of view in terms of like, I've got this glob of work coming in and what form do you want that to come in? You know, Mm -hmm. do you want it to be something that is feast or famine? In terms of, you know, when a client hits you up, you've got tons of work to do. And what is that? How does that affect you in terms of your scheduling? You know, Um, and I think that support contracts and support retainers can be fantastic, uh, both for you and your clients, because it gives you something predictable. You know, you're not driving yourself crazy um, immediately responding to the the next uh, trouble incident that's filed, you know. You've got a you've got a certain number of hours that you know you're going to work on particular things, and you can budget your time accordingly. You know, including then having time to spend on business development for yourself. You know, I, I think it just helps bring a little bit of sanity to the the whole process. Whereas if you're you're kind of just doing one off projects that you hand off and you you only bill them for the actual time that you spend working on it. I mean, I found that to be really chaotic and probably not fair to me because, again, the time that it takes me to switch between these things, that costs me something too, you know? I think it can even lead to the opportunity for more interesting work. So, like, as you build up um, these support agreements, maybe you sort of are having, you know, a pretty healthy guaranteed stream of income come in, you can be a little bit more selective about the work that you do take. You don't feel the need to take every little piddly project that comes along that's probably not that interesting to you. You can be a little bit more selective and wait for the the stuff that's really fun to work on. Yeah. I mean, that's everyone's dream, right? Just having recurring income coming in. (laughs) Yes. That's the dream. Yeah. But I mean, we're still working for it. Um, But the important thing is we're kind of changing how and the terms that we're doing that work. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know what? In a strange sort of abstract way, it brings us a little closer to the days of working on a salary. Right. You know, um, we all came up through some sort of corporate entity where um, nope, they would give you. I did not. Well, never. You've never. <laughs> you've never worked a salary job. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I was the, the last. Well, the the last job that I had working for somebody else was I was fifteen and I worked at Roy Rogers. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, sa- no salary for you at Roy Rogers. <laughs> so, but most of us, I would say most folks um, have spent some time working in a salary position where, you know, you don't have to worry about where the next work is coming from. And if you're working more, if you're working less, uh, it doesn't matter because you're getting the same paycheck every two weeks. You're getting the same benefits. Right. And at the end of the month, it's going to look exactly the same as it did at the end of last month. Right. Uh, you know, and so to get ourselves now that, you know, for the, I'm speaking broadly here, but for a lot of folks who are doing uh, freelance work or running their own agency, um, doing something like a retainer puts you back in a position where you have a little bit of a guarantee. It's not your whole salary. It's not your whole income, but you have X amount of guarantee every month. You're saying, okay, well, there's going to be 10 hours that are accounted for 20 hours that are accounted for and at the end of every month. You say, look, I know this money is going to be here no matter what. Yeah. Well, this has been a um, super interesting conversation. Um, I knew that it that it would be when we started discussing it way back on the craft slack all those weeks ago. And so um, I'm just thank you for joining us, Lindsay. It's been, oh, it's uh, been my pleasure. 
And so I do want to say too that Lindsay has gratefully offered, you know, for any new clients, you can just text him. And so we're going to put his personal, <laughs> we're going to put his personal phone number um, on the site. So just check that. Um, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, we'll we'll put his. Uh, just send him a text whenever you need anything. So I, I do have one quick question, uh, Lauren. Did you want to say something? Uh no, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just jumped in to, oh, okay. to catch up as we wrap up. Um, one thing I did want to ask before we go, I know we're wrapping up, but where do we start? Like, where can we get a base agreement that we can then modify and use for our own use? Are there any resources so that you're aware of? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I looked for one for a while and I never really found anything that I liked, but I found this company called, I'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. Right. It's called like Rogers creative, I think. And it's a law firm that specializes in like areas of uh, the, the kind of stuff that we do, creative work, that kind of stuff. Right. And so they have a package that you can buy that includes um, uh, d- various contracts. So one of them is a per project contract. One of them is a maintenance and support agreement or retainer agreement contract. There's a couple of other resources. I think it's about 250 bucks, but it's worth every mm. single penny. It's yeah. a really solid contract. So I'll look that up and we can put that in the show notes. And, and Patrick, you mentioned that you have something that you use for uh, doing these type of proposals as well. Does that have built-in uh, kind of agreements that you can use or how does that work? Yeah, it does. I, I use Proposify, which is similar to PandaDoc or any of these eSign type things. So that's all it is. Uh, that being said, if anyone wants to hit me up on Craft Slack or anything, I'm happy to help with any pointers. Um, does Proposify you know. come with built-in templates that you can then customize or is it just a tool for making your own uh it it does have some nice templates that are geared towards web design mobile um other application development Um, and that could be for another talk at some point about um you know some tooling around uh yeah the administrative stuff because it's been pretty neat but yeah we'll put um, put that all in the show notes and we'll put some links in there yeah but um yeah i mean i've just come up with my own from um past experience and looking at how other agencies do it and have my own uh you know, write-up that I use for uh, maintenance agreements. Nice. All right. Can, can we, right, before we go, can we give a shout-out to not just Craft Slack, but the Shop Talk channel of Craft Slack? Because that's really where this conversation started. And the Shop Talk channel of Craft Slack is pure gold almost 100% of the time. Uh, all of us, Lauren, I don't know how much you're in there, if you're lurking or whatnot, but I know I've seen oh, yeah, everybody else. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, there is um, a lot of really smart people in there with a lot of really great feedback, uh, ideas on, you know, not programming, more how to run a business. And, uh, you know, it's gold. Shop Talk channel of Craft, uh, Craft Slack, it is gold. There you go. Shout out to uh, Shop Talk. Well, I don't so, know how they let me in there. <laughs> but with all these smart people that are in there, I slipped under the radar there. They're, they're lowering their standards. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. It really does help. You can follow us on Twitter at devmo.fm or devmo.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmo.fm website. For the devmo.fm podcast, I'm Jonathan Melville. I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Lauren Dorman. And I'm Lindsay DiLoretto. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
All right. So, everybody. Can I just say, <laughs> your, your dog barking in the outro <laughs> is like the perfect punctuation for this. So... <laughs>